everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. My name is Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. Yo. And this is kind of a surprise, right? I mean, we didn't tell anyone this is really happening. We kind of teased it um, in our season seven uh, breakdown uh, season. But we are here to do a season one rewatch. Now, for those um, who have followed us from the beginning, uh, you know that we didn't start our Game of Thrones coverage until like midway through season three. Yeah, it uh, makes and, no sense. And it was well because that's when the podcast started, actually, right? Yeah. I mean, if I recall correctly, uh, we were sitting at that round table that I bought that you guys didn't want to use for some reason, um, mm-hmm. and we were talking about. I think there was some breaking Nintendo news of some kind. I think uh, maybe to do with the Wii U. I think. <laughs> at the time uh, we talked about that and then we ended with a conversation with Game of Thrones but that Game of Thrones conversation was super long and I left it in uh, our first episode's really bad I left yeah, it don't, in don't, don't, yeah, don't go back it. there and then so and then after that after a couple I think a couple more episodes we're like well we'll keep talking about Game of Thrones way too much why don't we just break it off and talk about it separately uh, so that's kind of what we did for uh, I'll, I'll, you know I think after maybe episode six or seven, and I went back and broke out the other ones and put them as their own episode two, and they're kind of disjointed. But we never did season one or season two, so we're here. We want to kind of we're completionists, right? We yep. want to get our thoughts out on this, but obviously it doesn't work the same way. There's no speculation now. We know what's coming, so we can watch season one in a different light. And it's kind of fun. I, re- I rewatched episode one, obviously, for this because we're going to talk about. The first episode, and uh, it's it's. I think this is the episode I've watched more than any other episode. Uh, by the way, I just it somehow really? it, it, yeah, I think so because every time I want to show the show to someone, I put on uh, the first episode, and I don't always like stick through the whole rewatching everything. I've never rewatched the whole series, um, but I never always stick through the whole thing, and. So I always end up watching like the first two episodes before uh, I have to like go back to, you know, catching up on movies and new shows, right? Um, But yeah, so the reason we're doing this kind of is because if you were with us last season for season seven, you know, we ran a crowdfunding campaign that was uh, very successful and we were really, really excited about that. And we thought, well, what what, what can we do to kind of as as like a bonus thing? Um, to kind of reward everyone for being so um, generous, right? So we thought, hey, why don't we just do the season one rewatch? We're going to do it anyway. We're not going to do another crowdfunding campaign for this season. Um, but we are going to talk about Game of Thrones and give you guys some more Game of Thrones stuff in the new year because uh, every new this year is not going to have a new season of Game of Thrones. So That's the thing. If, yeah. if you're like us, like this is the lull. So we, we need to tide ourselves over until the new season comes out. Exactly. So what are we going to start with? I mean, I think we're going we're gonna to maintain a similar format to the, the sh- our regular show, obviously, right? So we're going to go through, scene by scene, kind of discuss it that way, and then leave off with some final thoughts. And I think it should – I mean, it probably goes without saying, but just a disclaimer, like full spoilers for not only this season but every season. Yeah, I was thinking right? about that too because it's hard to talk about – you can't pretend like this is like – you could. the thing is we couldn't be like, okay, let's put the show in like 
in order and have our recaps go along with it. It doesn't work that way because how can we talk about season one and like like it was just happening? Like we can't do that. Doesn't it's yeah, literally it's impossible. impossible. So we have to talk about it in context. And I think that's actually what makes this much more interesting anyway. Um I don't know how much value we would have been able to offer for season one, you know, uh Tower Rebel breakdowns, you know, at the time, right? I don't know if we would have been able to give that much value. Uh, but we can offer more now with all the extra context. So let's start with season one, episode one. And it obviously starts with the cold open, right? Iconic cold open because it's only been used uh, a handful of times over the whole series, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I think from the very first shot, what was striking to you, literally, because I, I started typing, I was watching, I had, I did this, I, I, sometimes I do this, I don't always when I'm watching Game of Thrones, but I, what I like to do is I have a setup where I can throw, I can plug my computer into my uh, television, and the television's right in front of me, and the computer's right, like, basically right underneath it, so I'm sitting, watching the TV just above the, the, the laptop, and I like to watch the show, and then type at the same time, you know, thoughts and, and, and take notes that way. So I don't always do that. But for this one, I did that. And I just to get some initial thoughts out, I paused from on the opening shot. And you can see like the three rangers. And they're in Castle Black, heading out through the, the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. And it's stunning to me is how strong the art direction was, right from day one, and like a clear vision about how the show would look. Um, I mean, obviously things change a little bit over time. I'm um, like, we'll mention later that how it's we- like Tyrion's hair is like a weird, like bleach blonde. <laughs> and I, like, obviously they stopped caring about that. And, uh, you know, other little odds and ends like that. But basically the, the, the look of the show has been consistent from season one to season seven. And yeah, I think they, like you said, they had a vision, uh, obviously budget increased and yeah. they were able to do much more with it. But season one, right from the get go with whatever, well, I don't know what budget they're working with, but they definitely put their heart and soul into it. Right, just from like uh, the the White Walkers and the Whites, like something that obviously hasn't really even paid off until even now, right? Um, at the end of season seven. Early. So, but the the look of that White Walker is pretty much, pretty consistent. I think it's a little different, a little, to what we see from the, you know, the, the Night King and all that uh, now. Mm-hmm. So, um I just think that's it's very impressive because I don't think shows that last seven, eight years, ten years can are are that consistent in look over time. Um, you know, especially if they're like a contemporary show, is like because people's haircuts and like style changes over time. Like you can watch like Friends, right? Their style changes over time. Sure. The look of the show is basically the same. It's a different comparison. I mean, but, I think part of that is a testament to the subject matter because they had a, a pretty solid plan from the get-go, right? Yeah. They, they, they knew where they were going, so they had more direction than a, a show that is kind of like, you know, hitting the ground running, so to speak. I guess a, a, an interesting comparison would be something like um, Lord of the Rings, right? Because they did filmed all three of the films at the same time, so it's easy yeah. to make a consistent look because it's literally all happening at the same time, right? It's all, and it's done. But then you have The Hobbit come later, and not only do they um, they take the same art direction, but they but they change like the, they were filming in like some weird frame rate. What was it? It was like 50, 45 frames per second or something weird like that, uh, yeah. or sixty frames per second. I'm not. I don't remember what it was. Uh, and they they more heavily on CGI and all the stuff. Whereas Game of Thrones, they still try to do as much practical all the way through to, till now. Like you, t- you look at the Battle of the Bastards. It's like how many horses did they have? Like the behind the scenes stuff. So I think. 
that's what's most impressive as well. But we haven't, we literally haven't got past the first shot. So, um, <laughs> uh, what, what else? Okay. So, um, the whole sequence, I guess now in context, right? So the, the Rangers leave through the tunnel, the wall looks a little less, doesn't look quite as good as it looks as it looks now, but that's fine. Uh, they leave through the tunnel and they, they just like leave. They just go through the woods. It's kind of unclear what they're doing. Um, they mentioned later they're arranging, I guess, that group of wildlings that they, they eventually find had been mm. uh, spotted okay. nearby the wall. So they were arranging to find them. Okay. Um, and then obviously uh, the one finds the uh, – this one ranger oh. finds all like the dead body parts in the in, – you know, it would have been cool if they had like the same cool circle design that they use later. It's not quite that. It's a little like it's like a weird like, like diamond shape within a circle or something. Um, but yeah, but it is like what's what's interesting to me about that is that it's still uh, a symbolic gesture. Mm-hmm. I mean, even uh, you know, season seven, we don't have really we don't have as many answers as I would like to to what the White Walkers are really about and what they're doing. But clearly, they that has some symbolic significance, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, I think at that time, I, I don't know if they had that. Plan- I see. I like to say that they did have a lot planned out. Obviously, they do. But at, at that time, I don't know how much of that was just more just. We want to make something seem spooky and eerie and otherworldly, right? Um, and they succeed. It's a very effective sequence. I think based from from a like filmmaking perspective, it's super well paced. It's very tense. Um, even though you have literally no idea. This is the first. I remember. Crazy thing is, I remember watching this episode when it aired live, and I, it's so yeah. weird because I don't know what how it was the marketing. What what was it that got me into the show? I, I think about this all the time. I don't even know. But now it became it's become such a large part of my life. But I was there just like, oh, what's this Game of Thrones show? That seems cool. And I sat down and then boom, here we are seven years later. <laughs> you know, um, it is weird, though, like because you watch that this first episode and you're like, and I understand why this is why the show is kind of inaccessible for a lot of people. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I know. Yeah. I, and this that, White Walker yeah. stuff happens and you never you don't even see them for like, I, I think the rest of the season, you know? Yep. Yep. And it's like. In, in, we'll talk about it in, in specific details, and there's sp- specific lines of dialogue that are vi- like super heavily weighted in, in mm-hmm. context, right? But at the time, I'm just thinking, what? I literally don't know what's happening. And I think, I don't know if it's um, just, you know, the, the the need for the show to establish the world, establish the characters, um, and basically we're jumping in in the middle of like in the middle of a story almost, right? This isn't really mm-hmm. where the story starts, right? But this is where um, this is where things kind of at the tipping point, I guess. But there's so much that happens before this first, like in terms of timeline, that happens before this episode that you're like, and and they just drop casual terms that are, that obviously we understand now. But I'm like, I don't know what those things are, right? Like, <laughs> and it just it's so confusing. I was confused, like no idea what was happening. I was I liked it. I thought this was really cool, but I had no idea what was going on. Um, so yeah, obviously it now it takes it, a few episodes, even just to get used to the characters. It takes it yeah. took me a couple episodes when I first started. Yeah, watching. I was like, yeah, if, 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 I, man. Compared to the first time I watched this, I probably didn't know who was who, who was related to what. After that, you could ask me so many questions. I've been, I don't know, that that blonde yeah. guy was uh, sleeping with that blonde girl. I don't even are they are they brother and sister? I I guess they are because he had that really clunky line of, as your brother, I should tell you. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, anything else we want to say about the cold open? 
I mean, there's not much else to say. I think it's it's left purposefully ambiguous, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 meant to be secretive. Um, all the, that's uh, Sir Waymore Royce is the, the little captain, and it's just a little tidbit of information that he's the son of Bronze Yon Royce, who we meet in like season five. Yeah, but we don't even we never learn that name. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's cool. Yeah. Okay. That is cool. He's one of the few uh, members of the Night's Watch, like like John, who volunteered. Who, you know, he's he comes from a royal house. He's the third son. He wasn't going to have any lordship of his own, so this is what he chose to do. Well, he comes off as a real dick in this. Yeah, he's a prick. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of no wonder that the show took off so well. This is a really effective opening scene, even if you don't know what's happening. It mm-hmm. it plays really well. Um. So I think. <laughs> You know, I guess I should mention that, you know, Dan, you hadn't read the book you all season one. You watched that. You didn't hadn't read the book yet, right? Correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that it gives a different kind of flavor to it. But um, you obviously have all read them all now. But imagine how excited you'd be as a book reader watching this first episode. Just think about that. Like... Everything, as far as I can, as far as I know from people, from talking to people like you and other people who've read the book, it's like, it was so faithfully adapted. You're like, you, like you hear these p- things dropping these lines and you'd be like, oh shit, but no one would be, no, but no one else would know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Um, oh, definitely. Like yeah. that, that first sequence, the first step, really in my mind, the first season is, is a very almost word for word adaptation. Mm. Do you think that was, I think season one is one of its, the strongest seasons in the show, if not the strongest. Uh, but is yeah. it, do you think that the show was better off when it was staying closer to the source material? I mean, I, I know that that's a kind of a tricky thing because we don't know how close the the newest seasons are to the source material because that's not out yet. But I mean, I'm always of the, that opinion, though. Like, yeah, it, I know it, you it are. It is kind of better when they kind of toe the line. You, you know that about me. <laughs> yeah. Books are better. The books are better. <laughs> Books are more in depth, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's a different be. medium. Yeah, uh, for sure. Okay, so obviously, then we get the opening credits. There's not much to say about that other than the fact that uh, it became such a staple of the show and the, the like, the iconic opening theme. Um, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just it it's it hasn't really even changed really since uh, other than adding a couple new locations here or there. No, but I do think it was it was like. Whoever came up with that, it, it was brilliant. It's like this world is so big; it's it's difficult to sh- to really demonstrate the geography, right? They do a few exposition. They have people talking. They have later on in the episode, Cersei says, "We've been riding for a month to give you like a, a sense of distance." Mm-hmm. But this opening sequence literally shows you a map, and you kind of need that just to get your bearings. You it know? reminds me of like reading the Redwall books when we were kids, and the, there's always yeah. a map. Um, in the, like the front most page. fantasy books have a map at the beginning and i love that's like one of the yeah. things i love the most about i always fantasy. study those maps and thinking like okay yeah. well, if they're there and they're like oh think about like battle strategies and stuff it's really lame and nerdy but yeah i i did like that when i was a kid i even the point where <laughs> i even got like the redwall like appendices or whatever that it came with like a really big map of uh of the world it was like all in color wow. and stuff yeah uh redwall by brian jacks yeah and there was a there was actually a pretty good animated show based on the first book it's a, yeah, 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 actually, yeah. Was well, it based on the first book? Uh, yeah, it was no. based on the Redwall book. Yeah, no. the Scourge. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, okay. I, just, I remember. I don't remember really the order. I'm thinking. I'm. I'm thinking of the like timeline, right? So it's like, yeah, I'm thinking of the wrong. I'm thinking of the wrong timeline. I was thinking of and like also <laughs> the wrong like yeah, the wrong book. Yeah, let's try to. 
focus, anyway, I guess. Back to back to the show. Uh, season one <laughs> or scene one, sorry, uh, Winterfell. And uh, what's interesting is that they actually use title cards to introduce locations in this episode. I don't know mm-hmm. if that continues through the season, but I know it stops like pretty quickly. Like they don't do that anymore. Um, they haven't they haven't used it since season one. Um, so I think it's in- it's interesting because I think it is important for like the very first episode. You really understand what is what because yeah. the map doesn't you help. Need that unless, context. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, like they do. Okay, so he starts a Winterfell title card. There's a there's a King's Landing title card that says the like the capital of the kingdom i think underneath it so it's even to give even more context but uh so yeah we get a we get a establishing shot of winterfell and then we're introduced to the starks this is a very like everyone people talk about like the young you know um the young starks this is the scene that people think about because they're basically all together um for this moment you have ned kind of looking o- out over them bran is practicing his archery rob is there john is there cat is there uh, Arya makes does that like that fun little like uh, shot with the bow, um, and then Sansa's kind of just off doing like embroidery or whatever she's doing. But every everyone else is there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, the, I mean, who is it that comes and talks to him about the be like about having caught the uh, the deserter, right? Uh, uh, it's uh, Sir Roger Castle, the Master at Arms. Yeah. So he comes and he's like, okay. So we're gonna. Uh, we got to go behead him. And Kat's like, do we really have to? <laughs> and like, the law is the law. And it's just true. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we hear the, the classic line from Ned, right? Mm-hmm. Winter is coming. It's the first, th- the first time we hear it. Which the first, becomes, but definitely yeah. not the last. <laughs> Even in this episode, he says it more than I once. Know. They really um, hammer that. Yeah. It is still, he does say it so well. Like, like uh, you know, Sean Bean is... is it's so impre- it's so impressive to me to this day how they were able to establish Sean Bean as this as the the head, main character of the show only to have him killed at the end of the first season right mm-hmm. it it's such a ballsy move obviously this episode spends a lot of time establishing character and relationships um, sometimes well sometimes not so well but um, it, it, it's unmistakable how much like honor and and regal uh you know how regal ned comes off in this first episode and just um he sean bean's a really good actor and i think he gets short shrift a <laughs> That's lot what, what i'm trying to say yeah here. yeah yeah um but I, I can promise you, I think, like, to, in terms of the marketing for the show, he might, he's most likely, uh, they had something with Sean Bean sitting on the throne, or like, yep. who sits the throne or whatever. And, like, that's for sure what sold me on it initially. <laughs> it was just that it was Sean Bean? It's, it's Boromir, you know, like, I'm, I'm in. Am I six is going to be a king? <laughs> <laughs> Trevally. Sorry, 006. 006. Yeah. Trevally, I, don't know. Like, I like Trevally. I feel like I'm going to be saying this a lot when we do our rewatch, but it's it's like it's so nice to see all of them together, all yeah. of them when they're young and happy, and like especially before this, shit hits the fan. Especially this episode, because I think basically after this episode, there's a lot of like, hey, we'll talk again, and then they never do, or they never they never see each other again, or they die before they ever like, you know what I mean? Like this is yeah. the, basically the only episode in the entire series where they're all together, and then after this, they all split up. And most of them never, never see each other again. It's crazy. Because, yeah. uh, like, like, 
you think how much, um, I mean, John is separated from everyone else for so long, right? And he's such, he's like, he is probably one of the main characters. He is probably the the main character now along with Danny, right? Sure. Um, yeah. That is, it's so impressive that he spent so little screen time with the other leads of the show uh, over the years. Yeah, and just he's doing his own. In there, they, obviously, they, they spent so much time casting, and this show is very well cast. There's very few people in the show that uh, were not well cast, even if they some of them made some strange choices early on. I'm looking at you, Ian Gillen, with your weird accents that change over time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's not even in this episode yet, so we don't have to worry too much. Um, all right, so what else? Ha- is there anything else that happens in this scene? No, it's just an establish. It's just to show you the family. I guess uh, there's a moment where Cat kind of glares at John. Oh yeah, before oh, yeah. they've even uh, described their relationship, so you feel that there's some sort of tension between those two characters. But at this point, you're not able to tell yeah. what. Did what, that come through why. to you in the first time you watched? I mean, it's hard to remember that far back, but I don't think that came through to me for a, a while. I didn't even understand what was going on with that dynamic. Yeah. It's a very well, when whole, you first watch yeah. it. It's, this episode, like, there's a lot of exposition, right? So there's there's a lot of them kind of teaching you about the world without you know explicitly sitting you down and, and you know lecturing you right yeah so i i know that they mentioned a few times that john's a bastard that cat's not his mom i don't think it really sunk in until i think it's probably next episode when she like she's sitting over bren and she like hates john she's like i want you to leave i want you out of here like that's when it really hit home right for me, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I, when do you realize that uh theon isn't a part of the, the yeah no I, kidding right like i i don't <laughs> I don't think I knew that he wasn't their brother for probably all of season one. I, I don't think I knew that he was just a ward. No one uses yeah. wards anymore. It's not like it, that's not a common that's not a common colloquialism. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's one of those things. Like it, it, as the, as you watch the show, you you figure it out. Yeah, they can't, they can't do it all in one episode. I guess they tried, but it's 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 you know you pick up on those things now. Obviously, in in, in rewatching it, but like. Uh, you know, like I think he says to to John, I think like I listen, I take orders from your father, not from not from you, right? Yeah. Which would be a weird thing to say if you were someone's brother. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even that doesn't that doesn't really come through. So um, I skip ahead to the uh, the beheading. Obviously, Ned says bring Bran, right? Uh, Benjamin's there. Weird. It's weird that we how much we get like a couple scenes with Benjamin, and and then season seven comes along, and he's he's he died. I don't think Benjamin gets um. He doesn't he doesn't get to do enough on the show. He didn't get to do enough. He was yeah. he was gone for so long. I don't think he's there for the beheading though. He comes later in the episode. Is it? I thought he was there for the beheading. I could have sworn he was there. Yeah, like he he shows up when the king when they they're feasting at Winterfell. Okay. Okay. Either way, because otherwise Ned wouldn't have done. I think Benjamin would have been the one to behead him just at the wall. Yeah, right? that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So Benjamin's there. By the way, what is Benjamin? He's a ranger, right? Does he just gets to leave he's, Castle he's Black? The, the, sorry, he just gets to leave Castle Black and come feast with his family whenever he wants. Well, he's he's the first ranger. He he's he's in charge. <laughs> okay. All right. And yeah, he 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 took a leave. <laughs> you gotta you gotta remember at, at this point uh for the night's watch like there's not a lot going on it's not like we're, we're used to seeing them fighting you know mass raiders army or or the white walkers but yeah at this time they're just kind of chilling fair enough um and then the, i get that there's, there's a really great line when uh john says to bran like uh you know 
don't look away. Father will know if you do, right? Such a good line. It, and it again, it's just a great way of establishing John a little bit and giving him, you know, he, a little bit wiser for than, you know, than his age, right? Then Ned pulls out ice. It's nice to see ice, by the way, that massive sword. Um, mm-hmm. Seems completely impractical for like, for any actual fighting, like it's how heavy it is, right? Yeah, definitely. And you like, they don't cut away for the beheading either, right? It's just, it's just um, interesting. I don't think mo- I think a lot of shows would cut away for that. They wouldn't show the head flopped right off, but nope. <laughs> and you got you notice like how it's like one smooth stroke, mm-hmm. right? And then is it Rob who tries to do has, has a similar similar scene with uh, Lord Karstark, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't go as smoothly. Um. Yeah, it, uh, it yeah. turns out it's it's harder than you think to cut a person's head off. <laughs> uh, I, I think in the books they kind of they say like um, it's a point of honor. If you can do it in one stroke, it's like not necessarily honor, but like that's the right way to do it. But yeah. not it's 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 well known that not everybody can. Okay. To be fair, that sword, like you mentioned, is is Valyrian huge. steel. Yeah. It's Valyrian steel. It's it's incredibly sharp and it's heavy as fuck. So yeah, makes it a lot easier. All I'm yeah. saying it's it's a stark contrast to to when Rob made that decision, mm-hmm. right? Um, that I think that we all at the time knew was probably a mistake. I, 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 it didn't seem like a good, <laughs> a good idea, and he just, you know, I like Rob. Um, I forget, you know, it's easy to forget about him. I think because he he left us so early, right? I think even Cat has a longer, has like a, a bigger legacy uh, that mm-hmm. she kind of sticks around a bit more. Um, but Rob kind of, I, I don't think about him a lot, you know, like in season seven, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was a good soldier and he was a good tactician, but he made mistakes and he, he wasn't his father is even though he like, he desperately wanted to be, I think that, that just the contrast between that beheading and his beheading is kind of shows that, Mm. um, and then of course there's the great, the great line from Ned to Bran. You know, the man who passes the sentence should be the one who swings the sword. Another um, iconic line, right? Like some of these lines from this first episode, just how, think how many have become like staples of the series, right? Definitely. And and it's it's interesting. It's important to note like how Ned Stark's legacy, like, you know, is lived on in his kids, right? How John, when he becomes a lord he at uh, castle black he embodies ned stark he, ha- he has to be the one to stay in the bay blade mm-hmm. once he's made or, you know uh sentenced general slint to death that kind of thing mm-hmm. all right so let's move on to um they're heading back and there's the the dead stag on the road right this is i think a lot of people point to this as like the most um like i guess on the nose foreshadowing of some kind um, yeah definitely Right, of dead stag and a dead uh, direwolf, um, and obviously, like the direwolves have become such a symbol of the show, like the, act- the actual puppies that we they get here. Um, but they show how big a direwolf can be in this, and it, you forget how big they actually get until, like, I guess season three when when Robin and Greywind are out there. Um, but there's even a good line from Cat where like. Jesus, they things grow fast because I think yeah. like three scenes later, it's like not a puppy anymore. 
Um, it's it's pretty funny that I think uh, John points out that the direwolf is the sigil of his house. That's why the kids should keep keep the puppies. Yeah. Like, you notice that, but you don't notice that there's a dead direwolf and a dead stag, the symbols of these two houses. You yeah. Know? I think it's, it's selective. Um, what I think what's really funny to, I thought was really funny about the scene is that Ned is like ugh, annoyed kind of he's like okay he makes this big she's oh you're gonna feed them you're gonna clean them yourselves you're gonna if they die you're gonna bury them yourselves right but really it's only John and Bran that are there and Rob that are there <laughs> yeah the girls right? had no choice the girls that get, they don't, no no they just get to have this massive responsibility thrown upon them <laughs> <laughs> um and then Theon's a, a, a dick to John right Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ghost is there. I Ghost as a as a puppy. Like these are the cutest puppies you've probably ever seen. And uh, I forgot that he wasn't with like the rest of the, the like the the litter. He was actually he was like hiding underneath like a thing like later on, kind of a, a little thing that I forgot. I just I just in my in my mind it was just like everyone had a direwolf, and then there was then there also also ghost was there but no you know. no like what's important about that is the fact that they found ghost later is john's the one who says you have five kids there are five puppies like he's acknowledging that he's not a stark you right know what i mean and he, then like so the, in the book that chapter is told through brand's perspective and brand even as a child like recognizes that and is like appreciative of john making that sacrifice mm-hmm. and then eventually and then he finds ghost obviously it's the run to the litter and that's symbolic of him as a bastard right yeah and then before we head to King's Landing, I think we should point out how well the show was able to establish, like I said, we talked about the relationships and character early on, right? We're about 10 minutes into the show, and in just this scene, we learn that John isn't a Stark, right? In these in these last couple scenes, John isn't a Stark, um, Theon's a brat, uh, <laughs> Ned... And also not a Stark. Right. But we don't... Yeah, kind of. It, it's true, but we don't really know that. They haven't really established that that well, but kind of. Obviously, Ned mm-hmm. exudes a lot of honor. We learn that Arya is a bit of a tomboy. Um, all in about 10 minutes, right? Very impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, over that time, we also did there a lot of world building. I think this show um, is probably one of, if not the best uh, television shows or anything, actually, of any form of media that did, that establishes a world so well and so quickly. Um, like, Ned has a big speech before he beheads the guy, and we learn that he's the Warden of the North, right? Like, he does that whole, like, you know... Uh, I, I can't recite it. I'm not going to try. But you know, he in the does name that, of Robert yeah. of the House Baratheon, uh, I'm not going to recite it either. But yeah, right. it, it establishes not only it establishes his relationship to the king that he's not the king. He's just right. a, like you said, a warden. Um, you know, it, we don't know exactly what that means yet at that time. But we, but it's, but at least okay, we're we're, we're building that. We learn that the White Walkers are believed to be extinct for thousands of years. That direwolves are also not supposed to be on that side of the wall. We learn that that's the sigil of the House Stark. We learn that houses have sigils. <laughs> um, all and again, about 10 minutes. I think that's extremely impressive. Uh, because after that, the, the world building continues, but it's a much different, more subtle way. So we go to King's Landing, uh, another title card. And uh, I guess this is, would you say this is the inciting incident? This is what kind of kicks things off? I mean, I, th- I said that there's a lot that happened before, um, before this in terms of the timeline that leads up to this. Yeah. The death of John Aaron is, is I think, widely considered to be the the moment where things really um, start to ramp up. Yeah, I would I would definitely say it's the catalyst. There, there's obviously stuff you know kind of bubbling up under the surface, and but th- this is really the thing that sets everything in motion, right? Mm-hmm. This is the, the snowball that becomes an avalanche. And it's really interesting to think about how much of these of these moments in this that are that have been 
orchestrated by Littlefinger, you know, um, it, before we even meet him, right? Uh, but in terms of this particular scene, I'm not as impressed. I'm just not as impressed with this scene. Um, John Aaron dying uh, should be a big deal, and obviously they talk about it more later, but it's passed off pretty lightly in this like in this scene, like very lightly, um, in exchange uh, of, of, of clunky dialogue with Jamie and Cersei, which is their first um, dialogue scene together. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that, that moment where he says, as your brother, I feel I should tell you to, you know, you worry too much, I think is what he says. And it's like, mm-hmm. no one talks like that, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> Again, that's them. They have to establish the relationship. Right. I think within the same dialogue, they um, establish that she's the queen, that and the concept of the hand of the king, like they are still doing a little introducing No, no, they don't. See, that's, I actually have a problem with that. They don't tell you what the hand of the king is. They just say it's a thing. They just mention the yeah. word. Right, I mean, I've, obviously, you don't. They can't be like, so the hand of the king does this, this, and this, and his job is to blah, 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 blah. But like, there's a lot going on. This is like that. That title's important. This, I feel like, I don't know if we needed to have the scene with these two here, but maybe something. <laughs> I mean, I, a little bit more exposition, uh, I think, would have been done the show well. I mean, I don't know what we really get out of this other than. The, the most important thing that comes out of this scene is that they're brother and sister because that is, yeah. pays off at the end of the episode. No, that's right? the thing. You need to establish it here so that you ha- that it, it makes sense later on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it won't feel earned, right? Also, we know that they have a secret, but obviously we, we learn what that is at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, and then we go back to Winterfell and more world building. Uh, uh, Raven delivers the mail. Obviously, their speed is is exaggerated <laughs> for storytelling purposes um, as a show as the show just grew grew bigger over time. Um, but in season one, I feel like they spent a, a decent amount of time worrying about travel distances. You mentioned that they were traveling for a month or whatever, um, and speed, uh, like how speed, how fast uh, news spreads, right? Yeah. Um, so, I, I think it just becomes very complicated to to constantly think about that. And I think they're like, we want to just tell a good story and we don't want to get caught up in thinking, okay, this takes this long to get. And we talked about this a lot last season, right? About how, how yeah. fast everyone is able to move around the world. Um, but in, in season one, they took that stuff a lot more seriously. Yeah. I don't know if it makes it any, well, like the show any better. Story. We just don't want to get caught up in, you know, details. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not details that they're worried about. It's the, like logistics. Like that's not, I don't, yeah. I don't think, People are that interested in the logistics of the world as they are the characters, right? Although I think diehard fans would be like, no, actually, I like the logistics. Please, more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we get this beauty shot of Ned cleaning his sword by the weirwood tree. Very nice shot. Very, like, very green, which is obviously, you think about Winterfell now, there's a lot of snow. That same, um, that same space is, is, is very white. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know that it's summer. He, he keeps telling us winter is coming. It doesn't come for like six seasons, but, <laughs> you know. And he's cleaning his sword, and a cat comes in, and she tells him that the the king is uh, is riding north, and that John Aaron has, di- has died. And again, I just feel like the, the gravity of that is, is, is lost, I think, even on these two, which is a little bit, it's a bit more, is a bit different, Right. Apparently, there's this big, there's big relationship between Ned, John, Aaron, and uh, and Robert. Yeah. But 
I completely forgot that that was like a that was a thing. I didn't. I mean, obviously, there are all these char- all those characters are dead by the end of season one, so they don't spend a lot of time establishing a relationship that didn't exist on screen. But um, I guess I I still feel like that's that's could have been handled better. I don't know how, but it's something about that rubs me the wrong way. Just because this is it's, so important, and we don't yeah. know anything about this person. It is. It's tough because John Aaron, you know, he's never an actual character, but he is such an important figure. Mm-hmm. So in in the books, you you have Dead Star chapters with his internal monologue, and you 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 understand a bit more like why he respected this guy, whatever. Yeah. But the basics of it is uh, both Ned and Robert were wards of John Aaron. Okay. So like Theon, but not, they weren't prisoners. They were just, they, they grew up with him. He kind of took them on and taught them about the world. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when Robert chose to rebel, John Aaron called his banners and, and sided with Robert against the king. Okay. It was a big deal back then. Back in the day. Back in the yeah. in the day. By the way, don't expect to see this on the, like, I don't, I think they talked about that Robert's Rebellion will not be one of the um, prequel series that they're working on. Oh, they've confirmed that? I'm 99% sure we talked about that. They, cool. It's too soon. It has too many of the characters that we already know. Um, yeah. I think I think that's a good call. I I, I don't know if if um, if that if that's a good idea to do Robert's Rebellion. So um, it would be cool though. I mean, it could be, it would, there'd be definitely moments that would pay off. I think it would just be it would be super it'd be hard to avoid a lot of fan service in that, right? Yeah. And you and you're really beholden to a lot of stuff that's really happened in the show, but. Um, we're talking about season one here. So, um, cat calls for a feast, right? Feasts are always fun. Uh, obviously there's the line where like more candles for Lord Tyrion. I hear he reads through all hours of the night, right? Um, which is a funny line. Um, and he also drinks a lot. And then later on he, he has that famous line is that I drink and I know things. Yes. Right. That's, that's, that's what that's, his character it's is. Literally seasons later, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what happens? Uh, oh, right. We get the uh, the scene with John, Rob, and Theon getting shaved. <laughs> and I think this might be the only scene with all three of them together, like ever, um, like oh. in, in conversation. I don't think there's another one. Off the top of my head, can you think of other one? than the direwolf scene? Like, and that's yeah, just right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think I think this might be the last one. Not even halfway through the episode, barely. You know. Yeah, and, and like, this is where I remember when I first watched the show. Not, I wasn't necessarily confused, but they all look the same to me. When I first <laughs> they, watched, they, you know, like, they, yeah, they all have their shirts it's, off it's and they're all like chest cute. shaved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's tough because I think you get a little bit of the relationship between John. He's kind of he's he's always been the dour one, right? Even he, he's the whole series. He's got that yeah. like sad look on his face the whole time, and he's got that here too. And kind of like Rob's like, cheer up. You know, the only thing he likes more than girls are is, is his own hair. Um, it's a fun scene. It's kind of like a boy talk kind of scene because they talk about like, oh, why does they why does Cat want us shaved or whatever, um, which is funny. But uh, it's 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 again it's nice to see them together, but you know, it's, there's a tragedy to it too because you know that they're never really going to see each other again. Yeah, it's bittersweet. So what happens after that? Uh, Brand's climbing around. Cat gives him shit for it, and that's sad as well, obviously because we know what happened at the end of this episode. Uh, there's a tragedy to that I too. I love a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, he's up, like, so Bran sees the king coming, right? So a few thoughts on when the, the king arrives, when Robert gets here. Is, um, I think we can be honest with ourselves, Dan, that the hound's armor looks fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's definitely impractical. <laughs> He's like Doesn't riding make it any like goddamn sense. The like the like the little front flap is like flopping around when, he, <laughs> when he's riding. It looks like it's made of plastic. It's not their best. No. I just that's all I'm saying. It's not their best. Uh so that's that. But I love Cersei, um or no, was it Cersei? I, I love when Sansa kind of like shrugs when when Kat asks where Arya is. She's like, I don't know. Like, it's not my she's not what? I'm supposed to keep track of her? But she's also yeah. wearing the king, like the helmet and stuff. I just, I think it's that's some great, a really quick, easy way to establish uh, a relationship. Obviously, Sansa comes off like the worst in this season, uh, right? We'll talk about that in the scene. Yeah, she's uh, just a on. kid, but she, she's like at that weird like teenage stage, so she's yeah frustrating too. You know, she's not cute kid. She's annoying. She's fourteen, I think she says in this episode. I want to say, uh, yeah, thirteen or fourteen, something like that. No, thirteen, I think. Not that uh, it matters. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, and then the, I think I noticed what the, like the score in the scene is like a very traditional medieval regal theme, um, and they don't really have that down yet. Like the the way the show sounds hasn't mm-hmm. isn't fully formed. It's hard to because a lot of what we're used to is, is in terms of like the um, the go to th- uh, themes and melodies of the show aren't really established until season three, where you get like the reigns of Castamere and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I. That just stood out to me. I, I think that maybe might have been done on purpose to try to, to give this more extra regal air, but it kind of sounds, it seems a little cheesy. Like, if you just played that scene for somebody and you, and you told them to watch, like, listen, my favorite show of all time, check out this scene. They would think it was, like, the cheesiest thing ever, right? I mean, yeah, maybe cheesy. It's just, like, it, it's generic, right? Yeah. It, it, it's not, it doesn't, there's nothing surprising about it. But it's nice to see when Rob and uh, Ned meet up there and, you know, like, You've got fat, right? And then Ned gives this like funny look. He's like, just looks down at him. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, certainly at Cersei being her. That's another thing that stands out to me in this in this first episode is how consistent Cersei's characterization has been from season one. She really hasn't changed at all. Hey, like she she is the character that has probably had the least amount of growth as a character through Which is seven crazy, seasons. Yeah, as opposed to her brother, who probably has had the the, Most. the widest gap, yeah, Most change, right? Yeah, I know Cersei's. I've said it from from day one. She's just a, a cool bitch. I, I don't know. I don't like her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when she's talking to uh, to to Sansa, he's just like, "Have you bled yet?" I'm like, oh man, yeah, cut right to it, eh? <laughs> I guess what's what's changed with Cersei is at this point she's just kind of I wouldn't say demurred, but like. She knows her role. She has her place. She feels like she's above everybody, but she's not really making power plays. Like it, like once there is a power vacuum, she she does change it insofar as she becomes more assertive, I guess. Yeah, which is not a good thing for no, her. No, it's true. But. Yeah, and it's yeah, no, no. But like, I, I guess she just kind of feels she's she comes off as like kind of bored with life, right? Yeah, uh, and she does. Yeah, obviously, Lena Headey is an amazing actress, right? Um, so yeah. there's a scene where uh, Ned and Rob go to the, the crypt, but I'll, I want to talk about that um, in a sec. I'll just quickly go to this Tyrion scene first, which is the literal definition of sex position. I think that term was invented <laughs> for this show. Um, it was, and for this character, Roz. Yeah. She, she is the one. 
So yeah, she she it starts with a blowjob, and then ends with just like it just it's the show got a lot of heat for this um, early on, and just kind of this like we're gonna give you exposition through naked girls, which to be is to be fair, it is a little uh, it comes especially now right comes off not great, um, mm-hmm. but we do int- it does introduce us to Tyrion and. Roz is giving like this, like basically exposition, right? She's basically like telling us about Tyrion to Tyrion, which is really weird. <laughs> um, and yeah, again, like the blonde hair on Tyrion is so super strange to me. It just looks so bad. I think it's true a lot of the hair in this first uh, first season, but like this, his hair looks terrible. Um, but I mean, obviously, we 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 get we get Jamie comes in, interrupts, and I think we get a really nice first taste of. Of their relationship, which is the which is actually a really sweet relationship between Jamie and Tyrion. That, I definitely do like seeing yeah. them together. You don't really get enough of that in this series. I think it's true about any basically anyone who Tyrion interacts with. Um, you don't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we go to the crypt, and uh, this is a location that they've come back to over and over again through the series, and it's really well done um, in terms of like scouting and it just it has a it has a the perfect um, air of, of of importance and eeriness and Ned are mm-hmm. are and Rob are chatting about how much they love John Aaron right and uh, then we get this part where this line where if you're from Robert where he says if your sister had lived we'd been bound by blood right now I watched this I, I replayed that scene a couple times and just to, well, only once really to see if there was a reaction shot from Ned. There is not in that in that after that particular line of dialogue. That would have been okay. interesting to see how they would have played that. I think they they weren't sure how to do it yet at that time, maybe. So they didn't they didn't give him a reaction shot. But that would have been really interesting to read. Um, obviously, Robert's mourning uh, Ned's sister Liana, and like I don't know if we need to go through the whole thing again, right? But we only ever met her in flashback. Uh, yeah. Like years from now or then, whatever, um, at the Tower of Joy, where we learn that, you know, we learn John's parentage, right? And uh, I guess you could maybe trace it back to all, like, to that being the inciting incident, all the way back to Robert's Rebellion, beginning of that, that being well, the, yeah. the moment. I mean, there is, there's no one yeah. moment. It's fluid. Um, but it's just crazy to me to, to like to see how much Robert, like, truly loves her. And, like, th- this is what dr- has you know, what drives him, what the, the cause of the rebellion. Yeah. And then like later on, we learned that like she didn't think about him the same way. You know, she, she loved <laughs> Rhaegar. Yeah. And like this whole thing, all this stuff that happens, you know, it's easy for us to enter into the show and think, you know, Robert's the good guy. He's a good king, blah, blah, blah. The, the good guys won that war, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's everything about the show is more gray than black and white. So. Yeah. But again, I think I think ninety five percent of what they're talking about here is lost on me the first time I watched this. Like the at, yeah, I was watching. It was, I was like, I don't know what's happening, but sure, I'll watch John Bean chat. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think I said John Bean, but you know, you know what I meant. Um, I do. Anyway, uh, I think a, what's crazy now is how much more this this dialogue between the two of them has so much more weight with context, right? And, you know, 
to actually understand the dynamics, like why they did what they were doing and all that kind of stuff and, and seeing how that has played out over time is so is, is actually really interesting now, but at the time, very very obtuse. Like it was hard to it was hard to wrap your head around. Um, but then we get a cool transition shot. I know there's a, well, not a transition shot, but a, a cut um, when uh, Robert's saying that you know it's you know uh, you know it's over. The Targaryens are gone. I think Ned's saying that. And then Robert's like, well, not all of them. And then we cut to Pentos. But before we talk about Danny and everything there, um, we should take a quick break. And we are excited to announce something that I have been teasing for a while now. If you've been following the Twitter stuff uh, that we do, you know that I've been kind of teasing that. Also, even a couple teases at the end of our Season 7 stuff. Um, and essentially, it's we're going on a cruise. It's a Game of Thrones cruise, and you get to come too, and we're really excited to talk about it. All right. Now, there's a lot of details and a lot to unpack, and we're going to go through all that kind of stuff uh, as the season progresses, as we do this season one rewatch. But for right now, here's what you need to know. First of all, it's called the Cruise of Thrones, and it's being put on by Royal Caribbean, Cruise Planners, and Dalmatian Travel and Events. All right. It's doing two separate cruises, the Northern Cruise and the Southern Cruise. The one that we're going on is the combined Explore the Known World Cruise, and then you combine the two, it's 24 nights for the full experience, and uh, Dan, what else is going on? Well, yeah, and on every day, every single one of those 24 days, there'll be Game of Thrones themed experiences on the ship. And we're actually going to get to be involved in creating some of those experiences for you guys. Yeah. And if you register before March 15th, you receive a $150 credit towards onboard activities, which means you can use it at the casino. You can use it at the bar. And it's probably going to be at the bar. Uh, I know I would use it at the bar. <laughs> or whatever whatever you feel most comfortable with. If you don't drink, if, uh, if you're like... Um, uh, Lord Bolton, and you don't drink, and no one trusts you, that's fine, that's cool, but uh, you can use that whatever you want. Um, for all the details, and to reserve your spot, head over to cruiseofthrones.com, or you can follow the link in our show notes. So those are the details, those are the specifics that you need to know, but we're excited about the actual experiences, obviously, and there's going to be a lot of different filming locations, and we're going to get into all of the specifics um, as the, we continue this season one rewatch. But I think we're going to start off with the location that excites, I think, both me and Dan the most, and that is Iceland. Uh, it also happens to be the first stop on the trip. Yeah, that's important. We're, actually, we're in Reykjavik for two days, one night, and Akiri, Akiri, something like that. Akiri. Here's the thing. Here's the secret to Iceland. Everything that comes from there is impossible to pronounce. That's just... A fact, and we're just lucky that Reykjavik is just really easy. Is the easiest one of those things. But if you look how it's spelt, you'd have no idea that it was pronounced that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the thing is, we grew, we all grew up in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg actually has a pretty large uh, Icelandic community. Um, and so it's always kind of been in the like the background a bit. And I've I've always wanted to see Iceland. And the thing about Iceland is, it really exemplifies the whole Game of Thrones thing. It is fire and ice brought to life because it is full of volcanoes and hot springs, and glaciers, um, and it's probably one of the most gorgeous, uh, it's probably, it is, no, I think it's hands down, the most beautiful location that we'll probably see on this trip, just from a, a, a pure uh, landscape perspective, right? Dan, is there anything about um, Iceland for you particularly, or any scene that stands out to you that that really drives that home? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when, when I hear Iceland and I think about Game of Thrones is that scene in season seven when John and company are, are leaving north of the wall. 
you know, walking and the sun setting over these huge snowy mountains is just like a beautiful contrast, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's what came to mind. There's also the hot spring with John and um, Egret. That is, that's a, like, that's another, I mean, obviously that scene is, is great on its own, but the location is amazing, right? Yeah. Iceland is actually, I think, famous for its hot springs. Um, or natural hot tubs, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Either way, we are super, super stoked about this cruise, and we'd love to see you there uh, on it with us. So head to their website, cruiseofthrones.com. Get your deposit in before March 15th if you want that credit, and come explore Westeros with us. All right, so we're back, and we're cut across the narrow sea, and again, another title card. And then it says, I think, Pentos, across the narrow sea. Which is, I think, kind of funny. Just make sure you understand, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, Danny looks um, different here, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if it's the wig or the makeup. Um, she looks almost fragile in the scene. Um, it, I think maybe it's just because I, when I picture Danny now, it's much more um, hard, right? Uh, she is a lot harder of a person, um, and. Uh, I think that's deliberate. Yeah. It's definitely because that's that's true of her character as well, right? Just it's crazy to like, but I know. But that's what I'm saying is thinking about her now and seeing this first this establishing shot of her standing on that balcony. Mm-hmm. She just looks she looks like lost. It, it, it's it just really. She, and also, I think the wig is kind of funny too. But other than that, <laughs> um, we learn she like much like uh, like I mentioned about Cersei. Yeah, she really you know needs that that power figure above her to be removed in order to come into her role. Mm-hmm. So um, we find out about the wedding. And of course, Viserys comes across just as sleazy as I remember. I, I, like, he's not in the show very long, right? But he comes off as just the worst, right? Um, I think there's a line later on where he's saying, like, I'd let the whole, um, I'd let their whole, what does he say, the whole tribe and their horses fuck you if I could get my, yeah. you know, it's like, it's a pretty shitty thing to say to your sister, and it's it, terrible and thing it's, to say to, your, to anybody, really. To anybody. Right? But like, I think there's that. But he keeps saying he keeps calling her like my sweet sister, but he really doesn't see her, her as anything else other than a means to an end, right? Yeah. Um, and it's also it's another you know kind of uh, su- surprising thing to me. Um, it's not really surprising because we've seen it before, but think how much how much nudity Amelia Clark. It, like does in this first season because uh in this, especially this season and even a couple first seasons because she doesn't do any after like season four right mm-hmm. after she gets like her new contract or whatever but um they just constantly make her naked it's kind of it's 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 weird it, it's just another knock on the show against how often they use that that uh device um the, like the titillation I mean, yeah it, it that that uh I wouldn't say it's necessarily gratuitous, but it, it kind of gets close to that line a few times later on in the series, definitely. Um, again, at, at the very least, they're using nudity as a as a platform to tell part of the story. They're not just doing it for the sake of, you know, showing boobies, yeah. right? So, I mean, there is they that. are actually sometimes, right? Sometimes. <laughs> but not, not, not in this scene, at least. No, right. Um a little bit more foreshadowing here when she stopped, te- uh, steps into the hot water and like the handmaiden behind her is like, my lady, it's too hot, right? And she just like sits there and her like very, her like yeah. blank expression. 
I didn't I mean, obviously when you first watch it, you don't think about it that way. Like I, I read that more as, you know, she's depressed and she feels sort of numb and she's just, yeah. you know, putting herself through some sort of pain just to feel something. Right. right. Later on, obviously, we find out it's fire cannot kill a dragon. Apparently, Danny doesn't feel heat or something yeah. <laughs> unclear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then so who is hosting them? I think they they said his name, but I uh it's it's a uh, Illyrio Mopatis. He's does he come back ever? Does, he does he come back at all ever in the show? You know, he's actually a very important character I, I, that I, yeah. doesn't. Really, he's not really a big part of the show, but um, he does come back a few times this season, and I think in later seasons too. Definitely, definitely. I think Tyrion when Tyrion uh, leaves the Seven King, leaves Westeros, he goes to Pentos mm, initially. Okay, because um, he. Yes, he's still kind of like he set up this whole marriage thing, um, but he doesn't come across that shitty. Like he doesn't seem like that shitty of a guy, um, even though uh-huh. he's working so closely with Viserys. I mean, he gives he gives Danny the, the the eggs as a gift. That's a pretty dope gift, if I must say so. Right. So obviously, yeah. he had no idea what that what they would yeah, become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, but still, no, he's um. He, yeah, he's a very important character. He's he's one of the schemers that you, you don't you don't really he's under under the surface mm-hmm. sort of thing. He's working with Varys the entire time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That doesn't become clear till much later. He's kind of a bridge between Westeros and Essos in that in that way. Yeah. Um. What else? Oh yeah. So the Danny kind of like walks out and they do like this. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny, right? She walks out and there's like the, like this. Everyone's like holding their breath, and Drogo like looks at her and then like turns around and just rides off. <laughs> and there's great lines like, "Well, if did he like her?" It's like, believe me, you'd know if he didn't. If he didn't like her, um, presuming that he, we would have like what, like killed her or something. I don't something. He would have made it clear. He would have like spat on her or something. Yeah, or know. something like that. I don't know. Um, I just think that's kind of fun. Uh, and then there's this line. Then there's this the scene where um, what's his name again? Dan, sorry, the the host, the magister. Yeah. Illyrio. 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 Okay. And him talking with Viserys and like, I think this is another um, iconic line, maybe not so much, but it's a pretty big line where like, the, you know, people in Westeros are, are, you know, they're, they're drinking secret toasts to your health and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Just kind of, kind of feeding his ego um, when I don't think that's necessarily the case. Even Danny, remember, was told that later on that like, you know, they, they crave to have a, a Targaryen back on the throne and they really... They're like you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that the, the the common folk really give a shit who's on the throne as long as they're not dying, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it's, it, that's her and Jorah have a, have that conversation yeah. much later on. But that that's it's important to Danny's character because that, um, you know, Viserys believes on that, and his entire life they've been you know bouncing around right. the narrow sea place to place, but people have been telling him, you know, you're the rightful heir. That that's what drives it. So, you wanna... so then once Danny gains some sort of power, she realizes that all these people, like she calls them flatterers. Yeah. They're that's just what they do. And it, it's not real. Do you want to describe like how they got here in the first place for those who might not remember? How how did they end up here and how why were they killed in Robert's Rebellion? Uh it, it's it's a long story. They so <clears throat> they were uh whisked away to Dragonstone. Danny was born on Dragonstone, actually, mm-hmm. um, during, in the middle of the storm. So this is this is during Robert's Rebellion. This is when uh, Tywin Lannister is about to sack King's Landing. Danny and Viserys were, were, were whisked away, and then mother died in childbirth. They just kind of bounced around, and they were, he, they were known as um, the 
he was known Viserys as the Beggar King for a while because he was pretty much going around asking for handouts because they had nothing but their name. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at one point, Danny remembers Viserys had to sell the crown that that he had kept, and that was like the the worst possible thing that could have happened to them. It was his that was their rock bottom, right? Mm-hmm. So they lived in Bravos for a little bit. They they you know they bounced around in in Lys and like all these like the the free quote unquote free cities, right? Yeah. And then they ended up in Pentos, and Magister Illyrio kind of provided everything for them. Okay. Because he has a larger plan with the Targaryen mm-hmm. dynasty. Okay. So I guess the only other thing I want to mention is is in that same scene, Illyrio's like, in no time you'll be riding across the narrow sea and taking back the throne. But like, whoo, man. <laughs> if only they knew how long people would be waiting <laughs> for that to actually happen. It, like to the point where people are like annoyed with the show. Like, can we just get this move? Can we get the move on here? Can we just get Danny to Westeros already? And it didn't happen until season seven, which is insane to think. Just think about that. This mm-hmm. is a line that's dropped in the first episode of season one. You'll be riding across the narrow sea to take back the throne in no time, right? Seven years, Daniel. Seven years. <laughs> and then, it's crazy. yeah, and then you think about next season too, where Danny just like wanders through the desert all season. <laughs> uh, okay, so we go back to Winterfell, and Sansa and Cat are uh, having a scene, and this is that scene that I was talking about earlier. And Sansa comes off like just the biggest brat in the entire, like just you've ever seen. She sounds like such a whiny little brat. It's crazy. Um, Sansa does? I don't know. She came off to me really? as just little innocent Sansa. Really? Here. She's like, she doesn't really say like, when so she's complimenting her dress and whatever. No, no, no. This is the scene where she's talking about like, when will we be married? And um, oh, do we have oh, to wait? Oh, okay, yeah. No, you're yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even her mother in this scene is like rolling her yeah, eyes. Yeah, I know. She's like, oh my enough God, enough. Right? Um, it seems like this in this first season, in this first season is why it took literally years for people to come around to like liking Sansa as a character because people mm. didn't like her for a long time, like a long time. Um, so it it didn't do it didn't do her any favors, I think. It's the, and then she talks about well, it's like, just it's hard to see someone. I mean, at this point, you don't know how bad Joffrey really is, right. but to see someone kind of let somebody else take over, sort of. Thing, I don't think right? Joffrey even has a line of dialogue in this in this. Uh, this episode. No, he's just looking around all pompous. He just has like a little smug look on his face when he rides in. Um, and he's like, he just wants to marry, marry him. It's the only thing I ever wanted. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the big she grew up on fairy tales and that's, that's her Prince Charming. Like that, that's yeah. the world that she lives in. That's the, that's the way like it should go. If everything went is like, uh, in the most cliche way possible. Right. And you know, everything yeah. you should live happy ever after with the, with the future King and, you know, and I guess that's kind of what you're getting at, right? It's just that that is, in her mind, that's how everything's supposed to go, right? That she's, she's going to grow up yeah. to be a princess and then and she's going to be the queen, you know, like, so. So the show really, like, I guess, I, I can't say this, what it's all about, but it, it really, um, it's a, it's about the loss of innocence for these kids. And that's particularly poignant in, in Sansa, the way that she, like, it, it's probably uh, maybe the most on the nose, I don't know. But she is it's literally like she wants life to be a fairy tale and then life isn't and she yeah. has to learn, right? Yeah, and it's also about um defying expectations, right? In the in a classic medieval story, this is that's how things would go and everything would be fine, right? The show constantly mm-hmm. is is at, is challenging that, saying think differently. It's it's not that life isn't yeah. that simple, especially in that 
obviously it's a different world, but at that time in medieval times, life was hard, right? And they make that clear in the show. Uh, at least they try to over and over and over again. Um, then we have a, then we have a scene with Benjamin and John. I guess this is where Benjamin shows up, not uh, not earlier. There's another guy. No, there's yeah. another guy that looks like Benjamin at the beheading scene. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so John doesn't get to go to the feast. He's out there just hacking away at the um, the dummy, and that kind of sucks, right? And that's more more world building, right? Like you know, Catelyn doesn't want me to be uh, you know be seen at the feast. Um, and and. I think this is another. This is kind of similar. It's actually very similar to Sansa's uh, scene with Cat, right? Because he comes off almost like a little whiny too. Like I'm ready. I want to go. Like take me to King's Landing. I want to or to Castle Black. I'm ready to go. Let, let's do it. I'm ready. I don't like. I don't care about not being able to have a family or anything. And then I think there's a. This line carries a lot of weight to it now, but um, obviously at the time, not as much. But you know, I think uh, Benjamin says to him. You know, you might care about having you might care about having families if you knew what it meant, right? Yeah, like you you don't know what you'd be giving yeah. up. I think that's that's very poignant. I, again, I just feel like Benjamin just got a short shrift, man. Like he just does, just does not get enough to do in this series. Yeah, it's definitely like these kids, John and Sansa in particular. They obviously have lived a, a relatively sheltered life. They're mm-hmm. it's, it's the hubris of youth, and they're like, now I'm ready to to take on the world, but you don't really know what it is yet. Yeah, I think we can all sort of relate to that. Uh, yeah. And then Tyrion um, arrives, comes like from like hiding place or something, and uh, like there's these guys are the outcasts, right? And Tyrion has that great line, I think another iconic line, you know, like uh, he says, you know, if you wear wear it as a wear it as armor, and they can't use it to hurt you, right? Yeah. Um, which is actually the, the, the dynamic between these two, which we get a little bit more of um, when he, when he visits the Wall, right? Is is great, and we get more of it now in season seven, but, um, God, you just, I, I don't, I don't, I guess, I guess Tyrion's the common denominator there. Right. Um, that typically in scenes with him and other people, both actors come off. Well, I, obviously we know that both these actors are, are, are great and they, they still de- get to, you know, treat ourselves to the, to their dynamic and their relationship. It does change obviously over time, but I think this scene is a great scene. It's just so much fun. It's weird how like this episode and then the next couple episodes, how much of a mentor Tyrion becomes to John. Yeah. John, if you were to ask him, would probably hate Tyrion, or at least you know from the get go. At least the right? idea of him, yeah. But yeah, the other um, the line that Tyrion has, the other iconic line is, "All dwarves are bastards in their father's mm. eyes." It's like I don't know. It's, it's this, and then when when Bran is crippled and Tyrion cares for him, like that. That's really. Um, <clears throat> demonstrative of uh, Tyrion's character yeah okay so we also have we'll go into the feast and uh, Ned and Benjen have like a little uh, reunion it's nice considering that I think it's the only time like we basically see them together one on one chat yeah. um, he asked him about the deserter right and uh, it, it's interesting to see Ned almost take, be like you know Maybe he's right. Like, what if what if he did actually see the White Walkers? Right. I I think there's a kernel of that. It's 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 tough because I think having grown up, you know, his whole life and it's they've always been a myth. I think it's tough for him to try to to believe it. But even he says to um, what does he say to Bran? Like, a man sees what he sees or whatever. Right. 
Um, Madman sees what he sees. Yeah. So I think that's a little interesting. It's not much there, but it's it's definitely like the northern houses would be the ones most likely to believe mm-hmm. in White Walkers. Like you'll notice, he says earlier in the episode, the White Walkers have been gone for thousands of years, which implies that he 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 does believe that they were a thing at yeah. one point. I think he also says like, well, right? hey, um, direwolves aren't supposed to be on the south or on the side of the wall either, right? I think he says mentions yeah. something like that. So. Um, then there's the scene with, uh, Cersei and Catelyn and they're just kind of doing like their pleasantries thing. Like, yes, lovely country and all that kind of stuff. Just again, great characterization for yeah. both Cat and Just going Cersei. through the motions. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I think, a really great interaction between Ned and Jamie, where he's like, we'll have a tournament went for your new, uh, for your new title. And he's like, I don't fight in tournaments. He's like, I don't fight in tournaments because I don't. <laughs> I don't when I fight them for real. I don't want them to know what I can do. What a great mm-hmm. line! Of course, we never got to have the iconic fight between Jamie and Ned. Um, a little bit, kind of, but it was it was cut short by the, the dude with the spear, right? Um, which yeah. sucks because I think even Jamie was pissed at that guy, <laughs> if, I, if I recall, right? Yeah, he knocks him out afterwards because, um, like, Jamie says, like he's like he's looking to. He just wants to do anything, do something, right? So he's like, he wants to fight. Ned is the supposed to be like one of the greatest fighters in in Westeros, and he doesn't even get to have that fight. It's kind of, I don't know why people think like I don't. Ned is not meant to be one of the greatest. He's just some guy. Is he? Like he's just because okay. everyone talks about yeah. him like he was. I don't know where people get that from. <laughs> I don't know. You tell I me. I really don't. You know, like he led an I army. Honestly was, he didn't die in battle. I don't know. Well, yeah. Like obviously, he he's proficient. Like he. He knows what he's doing, but obviously uh, later on in the Tower of Joy, like he got lucky, he was saved. Yeah, I think in a one-on-one fight, Jamie would wreck Ned. Wreck? I don't know if he'd wreck him. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. You got to remember, Jamie Lannister is, is at this time one of the one of the best. Like he's yeah. top tier, and he's constantly like, fighting in tournaments. Sell me. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's, it's it, I do like this this scene, and you know when we when we reflect on the show, we we often say like you know. The scenes with Littlefinger and Varys in the throne room were like some of the best, right? Right, and it, it's easier because they kind of, uh, oh, you know, overshadow these scenes. But uh, this one, and I think either next episode or, or one of the episodes coming up, there's a great scene with Ned and and Jamie in the throne room, and it's it's you know they have that same dynamic, and it is captivating. To yeah, they, it's it's interesting because I think we're 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 supposed to hate Jamie, um, and we do obviously first season, first episode, yeah. right? Um, and obviously, in context now, years later, we've grown to actually like Jamie in some way, and you know, and, and he's obviously make, he's making a big big decision at the end of season seven, right? Presumably, we're going to see him um, at Winterfell uh, next season, right, or the final season, and it just like when you see, it's hard to have that same malice that I had for him back when I first watched it when I'm watching these scenes, even though he. Because I know he, he, I think he knows better sometimes, but he, he just isn't there yet. Um, so I guess I'm more forgiving yeah. of him this time. Well, it's like you said earlier, like there are very it's shades of gray. There's very few black and white. There's very few characters that you absolutely hate. Right. right. Joffrey's obviously one that you everybody absolutely hates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jamie has redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. Even Viserys has like a, t- a touch of like one redeeming quality is that you can at least understand his his motivation. Can right? you? <laughs> is, is he, pretty, he's pretty does shitty. he have any like, redeeming he, qualities you, just because you can understand his motivation doesn't mean like I understand Cersei's motivations too 
that doesn't mean yeah no they're, they're still I, I shouldn't have said it that way i guess um joffrey just seems like he's basically evil incarnate yeah you know he's just a, he's just all that yeah whereas viserys is terrible to daenerys and everyone around him and he feels entitled and blah mm-hmm. blah blah but you can you can kind of see how like he was brought up and, and yeah, why, why it's, it's yeah, how that could a tragic happen. figure yeah like why yeah. you would grow up to be that way even if, like you know just the way you you were raised Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we have a scene with Ned and Cat lying in bed. It's actually a really nice scene, but things really ramp up quick. Yeah, I knew we'd be saying this a lot. It's just nice to see everybody together and happy. Well, yeah, because like they're <laughs> they're just like they're making jokes. You're like, how did he get so fat? <laughs> right, yeah. and that kind of stuff is funny. And uh, they're talking about basically saying no to Robert. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to take this. The um, the position like you don't you don't have to be the hand right i think yeah. ned at that even at that time is kind of like i don't really have a choice like i i don't actually have a choice here i have to do it right that he's on her yeah and then there's and there's a moment like here obviously when um meister lewin uh comes in with the message from the eerie by the way they just say it's from the eerie and they're like Obviously, that's cool to us now, but at the time, I'm like, oh, "What does that mean? <laughs> What's an eerie? That is that is you know, you know." So that's kind of funny. Yeah. So they open it and she reads the she reads the letter. We don't know what it says, and she just burns it, right? Which is cool. But then if we learn that, um, she thinks that, or so yes, yeah, so Cat's sister thinks that, um, John Aaron was murdered, right? So bum bum bum. So it wasn't just the flu. And I guess mm-hmm. this is, I keep saying this, but like there's moments in this first episode where things kind of really set things in motion. Uh-huh. Kat getting this, this, that letter from her sister has such a massive impact on the decisions she makes later in this first season, which in turn have huge repercussions for the rest of the, uh, of the whole series, basically. Like getting, she probably wouldn't have taken Tyrion Lannister hostage if she hadn't got this letter, right? Absolutely. So, and by taking Tyrion Lannister hostage, she starts the whole war. Like, there's this whole, like, I know it's just like a whole theory that like Cat is basically she. It's her fault. Everything that happens in the show is all her fault. (laughs) Which I don't know if I agree (laughs) with. But kind of. Well, I mean, if you want to get into it, like everything that happens is sort of Littlefinger's fault, right? Knowing what we know now. He was pulling the strings that he, he kind of wanted this to happen. He he was playing her. Presumably, that letter came from him at that time. Yeah. Right. Well, I think what I think uh, I can't remember which season, but Lysa admits to Sansa that Littlefinger told her to write the letter, told her to poison her husband, right. sort of thing. Um. So I mean, there's a great line of dialogue where, you're like, you know, you have to go and protect the king. No, now more than ever, you need to be there to protect your friend Robert who is, you know, uh, surrounded by snakes in the capital, right? And mm-hmm. um, Kat's like, he owes him nothing. He, he spent half his life fighting his, his, this guy's wars. He doesn't owe him a thing, which, good point, Kat. You know? Um, what I like about this scene, I think the way that they shot it was, was uh, brilliant. You have Ned is the, is the focus, and then you have Cat. Cat like they're literally like a devil and an angel on his shoulders. Right. They're each on either side, giving him different. You know, uh, it's hard to imagine Meister Lewin as a, as, a, as a devil, though. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. yeah. 
Um, but that's how it's that's how it's. Yeah, I, I also I, I really like. There's this reference here again, completely lost on me. I, I for a long time for seasons, but she says, you know, your father rode south once, and mm-hmm. right, and we know how that ends now, right? We like we've we've heard that actually that that line of dialogue has more resonance now because of this last season than it had probably the whole rest of this show, right? If you think about it. Yeah, it's one of those things you kind of learn along the way. Like you get these little pieces of information. So while you're reading the book or while you're watching the show, you're kind of putting the puzzle pieces together yeah. in the back of your head. That's that's. I know, but like I mean, in this particular line, how we found out how Ned's father died, yeah. right? That, which by the way, I don't know if you guys, if you know this, but they, they actually shot a scene. They actually shot it of that of the scene where Ned's father is killed, um, like burned alive. Oh, in his, they they shot that. I don't ever want. But to they see never. That. But that's they but terrible. they never used it. They never used it because um, I think they wanted to. Sh- I think they wanted to use it as a flashback of some kind, but that was before they were like, "Okay, we'll do flashbacks." So they decided not to use I it. it. Um, I, I might have the story details on that exactly wrong, but I know that they filmed the scene, which is really crazy to think about. Um, but I, I think that particular line is really what nailed it down for me when I was watching the show uh, this time. I was like, "Man, every line in this in this first season has like." A, feels like a million pounds compared mm-hmm. to when I first watch it. Just like there's certain things that are just like, oh, my God. I can't. Like he said that? Like, oh, no, that means oh. – This is the value. <laughs> I always like tell people, um, you know, movies, books, TV, whatever it is, is worth your while if it's something that you like yeah. to, to rewatch it and kind of look at it from a new perspective. You know, you know, a lot of people don't do that. I think it's – with um, I mean books true, but it's especially with um, with film and television. There's so much going on in one, in any particular shot that you can you can in a rewatch you can take. There's pieces of yeah. of little things here or there that you that you get every time you watch it. I think it's it's constantly re- rewarding you for going back. Um, you know, like obviously we're going we're going into this before the final season, right? So. Not basically everything that's discussed or is done has weight to it because of all the years. If we'd watched it, gone back and watched from season three, certain lines would have weight. Certain certain ones. This 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 one still probably wouldn't have any weight to me. I would still wouldn't really mean anything. But you know, fast forward four years from that, now it's it's almost like everything is dripping with context, right? So. Where were we? Uh, the only other thing I would mention about that scene, um, it's in, it's one of the places where they, you know, diverted from the book, mm. diverged from the book. Cat mm-hmm. um, in the books, she's kind of prodding him to go. Like Ned is more reluctant, and Cat's like, "No, you have to. Like this is your duty." Interesting. So they kind of they switched that, it for yeah. the show, so that she's kind of trying to hold him back. I think it, it works. It just. In my mind, it helped her character because later on, there's there's an immense sense of guilt that drives her, and it kind of makes some of her actions later on a bit more understandable, I guess. Yeah, is that she's trying to pick up all the pieces and put the family back together, and that's all that she cares about is getting her kids back, right? Because she feels guilty for having sundered the family. I think that, I think that still kind of comes through, I think, um, in a different way, but yeah, yeah. Okay, um, back to Danny. And get a wedding feast, um, a feast of a different sort this time, right? Compared to the one we just saw, uh, there's like 
there's like rape going on <laughs> stuff it's, <laughs> it's very strange uh, and just killing random yeah. acts of killing Danny is like violence. couldn't be more disgusted by what's happening it's pretty funny actually um, and then we get that great line where a Dothraki wedding without at least three deaths is considered a dull affair <laughs> I, I love that um, and then Jorah Mormont shows up with um, a really lame gift <laughs> Yeah, compared to everything right, else. Right, exactly. Like, like, he's like, okay, well, I mean, here I got some. It's, it's just one step above the snake guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, what was with that guy? He picked up the snakes and put them right back down, and that's it. That's all that happened. <laughs> so weird. And he comes up here, like, I got you some lovely poetry. Um, <laughs> so that's a thing. And then the very next thing that she gets is the dragon eggs. And obviously, they mean more to us now because we know what happens yeah. with them. But. But even back even then, then it's like, I got oh, you man. these priceless dragon eggs yeah. from the other side of the world. Books. What kind of did you did you catch what kind of books they were? I don't know. It, I don't think it matters. He said they were songs and histories from her kingdom. Ah, okay. But so just so yeah. So it's <laughs> like thanks. Um, next, but she. Right, I think yeah, she. I'll, did, I'll read those later. She does kind yeah. of. Um, I think she recognizes Jorah for being of Westeros, right? So. She she has that connection there right away. Um, yeah. I think it's the only time that Jorah's ever mentioned that he's from Bear Island, um, which is interesting because you know obviously we find out we find out about Lord Commander Mormont later, but um, that whole history is, is isn't really told through the show that well. Yeah, I guess he doesn't really have much reason to, yeah, to, to talk go about over it. it. It's his shame. It's his shame. Um, but Danny does. If we're being honest, she does truly appreciate the books it's a little taste of yeah. home it's something that she can actually understand unlike those goddamn snakes <laughs> <laughs> um it's nice to see jorah here looking you know in a different costume than that that yellow shirt he wears for like the next like six seasons <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's kind of fun uh before he gets the dope cape that he gets at in season seven uh so the magistrate i think he you know, gives her her eggs and uh, then she's gifted a white horse from Drogo. Another great gift. <laughs> silver. She names it Silver. Oh, I didn't know that. Do they say that in the show? No, they just thought I'd throw it <laughs> okay. up. Okay. All right, just checking. Um, and then we get this beautiful sunset shot, actually. It's a gorgeous shot. And I think it's actually the shot of uh, the reverse shot of the sunset, the reverse of to looking at her looking at the sunset, is probably uh-huh. one of the most common images you see of Danny from the early, from the first early seasons. It's a really amazing shot. Um, just gorgeous, right? And obviously the location scouting that they do for the show in general is pretty amazing um, across the board, but this is a great, a great spot. And uh, this is where they're going to, I guess, consummate the marriage. Um, I mean, Danny's crying. More than a little disturbing. Yeah, it, it's essentially another rape scene, which again, doesn't, it doesn't look great for the show, especially in context now. I, at the same time, because of what we know about how this was an arranged marriage and like the how the uh, Dothraki culture. culture is, it it doesn't feel as gratuitous. I think um, as as no, it, it, it makes sense for the story. It's just it's hard to watch. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes you uncomfortable. It's it, it's supposed to, I guess. Yeah. It's actually all, all, more, even more disturbing when you think. In the book, she's meant to be thirteen at the time. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't look thirteen. And <laughs> yeah. they, they aged everybody up for the show. Yeah. I think she's meant to be like sixteen, probably at the time. 
Anything else you want to talk about, uh, Danny? I think that's the last we see of her. Uh, yeah, it's the last. Anything you want to say about Danny and, and what's going on in, in Pentos? I think, again, a lot of this is kind of, it's kind of cool, interesting, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think the gravity of it is lost on me in the first time I watched it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a slow burn. Like you said, she just seems very fragile, very um, demure. She, she has no agency whatsoever mm-hmm. in any situation. Yeah. So this is just her life and she's just stuck with it. So we go back to Winterfell and uh, the Hound and Tyrion have another quick chat. Um, I think that's nice. I like uh, always like seeing the Hound, uh, and obviously with again with Tyrion, any any anyone who chats with him, it comes off great. <laughs> um, we learn that Ned says yes uh, to Robert, and Rob needs him because he's a loyal friend. And obviously, I think they. they that line that like you're like the last loyal friend I have really has a lot of is just, is just super heavy because of the scene we just had with Kat and, and Ned, right? Um, yeah. Because you know that you know, he's surrounded by like snakes. Um, it's how much do you think Robert knows about what happened at that time? Did or is he is he kind of naive to what's happening? And he's just kind of playing off of Ned's loyalty to get him to say yes. Uh, well, a little bit of both. I think Robert, he understand, he knows and understands. Everybody in the world says King's Landing is a nest of vipers, blah, blah, blah. Robert is the kind of guy that just has no time for politics and would rather just swing his hammer, right? right. So he basically ignores it, which makes it kind of easier for certain people to play him. But they also have to respect him as the king. And he just kind of says, screw it and does whatever he wants. Yeah. It's not that he's naive. It's that he, he can't care. No, he can't I, be bothered. I mean, like I know. he thinks that he's above okay, it. But he can't be touched. How much does he know about what happened with John Aaron? Does he know? Does he think oh, that he... To, yeah. to that, yeah. He, he's ignorant of that. Yeah, okay. He thinks that John just got sick and died. Okay. And then, of course, we have the scene with Bran climbing for the last time. Um, and was become another iconic moment. Um, he obviously catches Jamie and Cersei in the act. Uh, this begins Jamie's arc, which takes a big drop down before it starts slowly coming back up and then down again and then back up again. It's very confusing. Um, over the years, meanwhile, Cersei, like we said, like we mentioned earlier, never really changes. Um, I guess Bran, you also said that Bran's arc really begins here as well. Um, yeah, as he yeah. begins a long road to becoming the three-eyed Raven. So that's interesting. I, I there's not much to say about that final shot other than how shocking it was the first time you saw it, right? Yeah. No one expected Jamie to push him out the window. I mean, unless you read the book, in which case you expected him to push him out the window. But you know what <laughs> well, I mean? Yeah, it's like you're kind of trained to believe that kids are sort of untouchable in most media. Yeah. You don't hit, you don't hurt kids. Well, think about how he's like, he's like, how old are you? And he's like, it's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like soothing him. You're like, okay, maybe. And then the things you do for love, boom, out the window shot of down towards the camera. It's a, it's a pretty cool way they shot it. Just really tragic. Uh, especially when you consider like how like high active and, excited he was to be climbing and uh, you think about his face especially in <laughs> season seven where he looks like a hundred years older <laughs> he looks so yeah. young in this in this in the season and he just has like he's just stone cold now right so just young all and analytical yeah it's really sad that's, again it's symbolic of that loss of innocence thing, yeah. right that's what happens to all the star kids so anything else you want to say um about this particular scene before we move on to final thoughts 
I don't know. Again, like I think the first time I watched it, like you you've said a couple times, like the, the, the gravity of it, I didn't fully appreciate the gravity of it until later on in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely shocking. That's their dun 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 moment. Yeah. Well, there's not much else to say. I think you, you learn more about Jamie and Cersei's relationship later on, yeah. and it, it's how you know depraved it gets. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't. It's hard to. It's so long ago. I don't remember what I was thinking at the time. I just remember being shocked. That's all, <laughs> and being hooked basically. So that's what started it all. That's what started this whole uh, this whole journey. <laughs> so final thoughts, I guess we kind of touched on a lot of the themes that I that I, I wanted to touch on. How you know the added context of six additional seasons after that, after this, um, give give extra weight to all of. All, almost every line of dialogue, right? Every character interaction that we know is going to be the last is is that much weightier, right? And more tragic. Um, I think that'll be worse next episode. Yeah. Uh, you talk about, like I mentioned, like again, impressed with their art direction and their and consistency through throughout the season, uh, the, throughout the series. Um, I think, and those are the two things that really stood out to me as being the most impressive um, in a rewatch context. Um, Yeah, definitely. Like there's, you know, so much significance to almost everything that's happening, but it's so subtle at the same time. So you don't notice it at first. That's why it's hard. Like I said earlier, the show is um, less than accessible for certain people. I was so confused. Because it seems like a bunch of make, like make my gobbledygook at at one point, (laughs) but then it all makes sense if you stick with it. Right. What, like what do half these words even mean? Like, I don't, (laughs) you know, uh yeah and like how can you expect anyone to keep track of all the names after one episode you can't that's why you you have to give the show like a good four or five episodes to get into it and and then yeah and i i I can't imagine binging the show i remember talking about this we talked about this a lot of times but um going week Mm -hmm. to week with um with the show gives you time to decompress and really like think about the dynamics and who's who and what's what and all that kind of stuff but if you were binging this I feel like a lot of that stuff would be lost on you. I think it would just kind of all wash over you and you'd be like, you know, uh, you know, you remember Ned and you remember Robert and you remember Jamie and, and, and Tyrion, but everyone else it would be kind of, would feel unimportant and like you, you would, I don't think it would work as well. And we talked about this for a long time. I've, I've been a big fan of the week to week model. Obviously Game of Thrones kind of shows like, this. yeah. Anything, uh, anything else we should mention before we wrap up? I think that's good for the first episode. Yeah. We gotta get to some sleep. Okay. Um, I need to get to work. <laughs> so um, with that, I'll mention follow us on Twitter at Tower Babblecast. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast. And uh, again, thanks to everyone who donated last season to our uh, crowdfunding campaign. Thank you so much. Uh, this this is this first season rewatch is really because of that. And um, I can't um, overstate that enough. And, um, oh, yeah, just thanks for everybody. We had a lot of new listeners and, you know, reviews and all that yeah. kind of stuff. We're very appreciative of that. So we're excited to get into this. Um, obviously those who follow our regular show, uh, the Tower of Babel podcast, I would encourage you, if you don't, I would encourage you to go check that out. Um, we've been concentrating a lot more on, uh, film and televisions exclusively in our main show. Um, it's less, uh, all over the place. We still talk about other stuff like video games and stuff, but in its, it's, it's more, 
compartmentalized into their own specific shows that are labeled that way. So I would suggest going over there, checking that out um, if you're into that kind of stuff uh, at all. If you like Game of Thrones, uh, there's a chance you might like some of the other nerdy stuff we talk about. And uh, and yeah, uh, again, thanks for listening uh, last season, and I hope you enjoy this season one rewatch we're about to get uh, embark on. Um, it should be fun. We haven't done a 10-episode uh, season of, <laughs> of Game yeah, of Thrones hey. for a while, so that should be fun. And uh, well, yeah, we'll be back uh, presumably next week with another uh, Tower of Babel Game of Thrones breakdown. This week's Game of Thrones theme is, of course, Raman Jawadi's original Game of Thrones theme. It only made sense that on our Season 1 rewatch for Episode 1, we'd give him props for what was and is an amazing theme. Remember to reserve your spot for the cruise at cruiseofthrones.com. <laughs>